Well, can you hear me okay? So this morning we had a special guest speaker, Pastor Mike Cavanaugh came over from Elam, and uh, it's just wonderful to see someone like him come in and, and bring a word that we really need, a word that is applicable to our lives, and so uh, that was recorded, and uh, Myron uh, Malin will get that uploaded on our podcast, there's an address for that probably coming up here behind me. I'd like you to all take time this week to listen to it. It's not that I just want you to hear a sermon. I really want you to hear a word for us, a word in season, a word for our church. And so if uh, can I get a commitment from you? Can you somehow put that in your calendar? Put that in? Go ahead and put it right in your phone. While you have your phones out, we're going to put in a couple other things. I really would like you, especially if, if this is your church and you're committed to being here, I really would like you to, to get this into your heart. Tomorrow evening at the DH, we have a creative collective, and that's just a, a time for creative people just to get together and draw and write and paint. And, and uh, some, some nights, uh, someone has gotten on the piano and just let her rip. Uh, other times, we, um, we visit and talk and put on music while we're drawing and that kind of thing. And it's just a sweet, sweet evening. And there's only a few left. We're only going to do it until the end of this month. And so uh, I'd like you to get that in your calendar if that's something you can do. Uh, and you can bring your children. They're welcome to come as well. And we'll set them up so that they can paint and draw and, and be creative as well. Next Saturday, 10 o'clock, ladies, there's a 5W brunch. It's the first of a kind. And so we want you to get it in your calendar because it's not something you normally do Saturday mornings. It's, it's going to be here at 10 a.m., it's for all the ladies in our church. We just feel with going with two services and all the changes that have happened and all the new people who've come in, we really have to be intentional about connecting. And uh, so this brunch was uh, something that uh, came into the hearts of some of the leaders, and they wanted to see this happen. And so you can sign up for it out in the Welcome Center. There's a, uh, a sheet for you to sign up and also a sheet to sign up if you're going to bring something for that brunch, and so, uh, so it's called 5W, and that's on the screen here as well. August 25th, can you put this in your calendar? Put it in right now, August 25th. We're gonna have our meeting here. Uh, some of the morning people are gonna join us at Indian Pines. It's the park at the end of the um, lake, this end of the lake. Just turn left at Seneca Farms and you'll be there. Indian Pines. Josh Davey is coming. He's a pastor up in Greece, New York. He's an amazing worship leader, musician. Josh is coming for the day. We're, uh, we're celebrating all the people who came in and led worship for us in those early days when we didn't have any worship leaders. And Josh would come in from time to time. And uh, we even did a parking lot concert one time with him. So he'll be here. He'll be staying at the DH that weekend, he and his family, and just kicking back. And it's just a way to honor them. But... After the meeting, we're going to go down to Indian Pines and just worship in the park. We're going to do some praying. So it's a chance to get out in public. Uh, and and uh, it's a joint prayer meeting with the Assembly of God Church, Penyan Assembly of God Church. It's the last one that we have booked with them for the summertime. And it's August 25th uh, at 7 o'clock, Indian Pines. And... If anyone here has not been baptized, you've, you've, maybe your parents baptized you as a baby, 
that was their faith and we're, we're fine with that. We understand that they loved you so much they wanted you to be baptized. Uh, some are baptized as uh, teenagers, as a whole group. Um, that's, that's something that uh, happens quite a bit. But maybe since then you've met the Lord in a real definite way. And now you need to be rebaptized. Uh, we're not just Anabaptists, we're Anna Anabaptists. We want to see people who've been baptized, rebaptized if they haven't done it as a believer. And so that's going to be right there in the lake. Uh, if there's someone who's been significant in your life, working with you, uh, mentoring you, discipling you, and you'd like them to stand in the waters of baptism with you, you'd be welcome to uh, talk to Pastor Nelson, and he'll work with you on that, and we'd like to see that happen. That's, uh, we've got a tank coming at some point in time for our baptisms here when we, when we uh, can't do it outside, but I like to do those public baptisms. Hopefully there'll be people in the park that night. They'll be watching. They'll be listening. They'll come into our little orbit, and we'll see what happens with that. Amen? Any other announcements? Nelson, anything else you can think of at all? Okay, the nursery is available. Someone who's in, not tonight? No one's here for that? Okay. If, uh, if your child uh, needs special attention, you can go in this little cry room right here. There's a play area over here if you want to take them and just let them be kids. That's fine with us as well. So, Well, let's pray tonight before we begin, not just to be religious and not just for uh, a religious thing to do that you pray before a message, but uh, we need a revelation. So let's, let's pray for yourself. Just pray for yourself. Say, Lord, open the eyes of my heart. Let me see. Lay a concept inside of me concerning wait upon, waiting upon you. Open the eyes of my heart. Let me see what you're saying, what you're saying to us. Teach me. Teach me by the Holy Spirit. I receive it now in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Turn with me to Acts chapter 7. We started last Sunday morning teaching on uh, waiting on the Lord, the work of waiting, it's called. And uh, we're going to continue with that theme here tonight. Acts chapter 7. There's time in Moses' life when uh, he'd been educated. Verse 22 says he was raised up. He was learned in all the wisdom of the Egyptians. So he was highly educated. He was very effective, mighty in words, mighty in deeds. So he is a prime mover. This Moses, he, he, he can really talk. He's highly, highly effective. But when he got to be 40 years old, he, it came into his heart to go out and relate to the children of Israel. He knew somehow he was not Egyptian, that he related to the slum dwellers that were in Goshen. And so he'd go out and he'd walk among them. And uh, he saw someone, in verse 24, uh, being abused. And so he stepped up and struck the, an Egyptian that was abusing in his, uh, a Hebrew. And he killed him. And uh, verse 25 is interesting. This is Stephen's sermon. Stephen said, for he supposed that his brethren would have understood that God would deliver them by his hand. But they did not understand. The next day he saw two Hebrews fighting. And they asked him, they said, who made you a ruler and a judge over us? Are you going to kill us like you did the Egyptian yesterday? 
And as a result of that, Moses fled for the next 40 years. So he's, he's sensing a purpose. He believes, even though he's the grandson of the, the ruler of, of the world, really, of Egypt, he, he had to come into his heart, I have a calling, I have a purpose, I've been raised up and given this advantage, this high education and everything, to be a, a ruler for my people and to be a deliverer. So he knew that he had some destiny with these people. The problem is, is he did it in his own strength. He did it in his own way. The timing was way, way off. So the way the Lord uh, corrected this is he took him out into the land of Midian, into a desert region, and he, he looked after sheep on the backside of, uh, of nowhere for the next 40 years. When he come out of that process of waiting, a process of being braided and uh, being dealt with by the Lord, it was a constant dealing by the Lord. The Lord said, now it's the time for you to come in and be a deliverer to the people of Israel. And then at this point in time, he says, I can't speak. <laughs> I can't do anything. Something had happened during the waiting that he got so reduced in his self uh, ability that now he didn't feel that he was qualified to do anything. I see that same thing happen in so many people's lives. They feel called. They feel like they can go out there and do it. But by the time God's worked to work through the waiting process, 40 years of being on the backside of nowhere, uh, pastoring unruly sheep, now God says, you're ready, but I want you to go in with my power I want you to go in with my authority, not your authority. I want you to go in with my wisdom. My wisdom, my ways are not your ways. And now he takes Moses into this position of a deliverer and as a ruler of the people on an entirely different level. But it all worked out in the waiting. And here's what happens. Everything that God wants to do in you concerning your purpose, your calling, there's a gap. There's a waiting period from the time he shows you and he puts that in your heart. He supposed they all knew it because he knew it so clearly. From the time he calls you to the time that you actually come into that, we lose people in that gap. People fall in the crack. They quit the process. And God's saying, no, there's, this is the way I work. This is the way I do it. I've done it. All men, all men of God, all the people who are, who are prepared by God for ministry, and I say men, not, not to exclude women, I just say men in terms of people who are raised up by God, they have to go through that wilderness period. They have to go through the dry times. They have to go through the barren places. And it's there, there's an adjustment between our self-will, our own understanding, our own relying on our own education. I, I get a chuckle when people say, I'm going to go and get a higher education, and I'm going to go get a business so I don't have to rely on any other means for ministry, I can be ready for ministry. And I kind of get a chuckle because I know him. I know him. What he'll do, he'll, he'll take them to a place where they have nothing, where they're brought to nothing, where there's complete weakness. And then he says, now I can use you. Now is the time. Romans chapter 9, verse 33, comes out in different translations says, those who wait upon the Lord shall not be disappointed. So the process, the process is disappointing. The process is dismal. 
the, the process that he takes you through is no fun at all. But you'll never be disappointed when God takes you through the process of waiting. We call it the work of waiting. And it very much is that. Turn with me briefly to, to um, Proverbs chapter 20. Proverbs chapter 20. There's this little known verse. You don't hear it quoted very often. You probably won't hear it quoted in the context of this sermon. But Proverbs chapter 20. Look at verse 21. It says, An inheritance gained hastily at the beginning will not be blessed in the end. Anything that you want, that you get quickly, it'll be ruined somehow. It'll, ne it'll never really fully satisfy. There's something about postponed promises. There's something about postponed prophecies. There's something about postponed purpose. If an inheritance is given too easily, too quickly, and I see parents do this where they set their kids up. I read a lot of biographies. I, I read a lot of history. And, I, and I've seen the wisdom of people who say, no, I'm not going to give my kids that kind of a, an advantage. I'm gonna ha I want to set up so they have to start out with nothing. That's the real advantage. Uh, an inheritance gained hastily at the beginning will not be blessed in the end. And that is so true. That happens, that happens a lot. That happens in the spirit as well as in, in, um, with finances. Let's continue with Moses. Let's go to Exodus chapter 24. He finally gets called. It's a totally different experience. Something that he had never, it was on a different level than he could have ever imagined. When God does something, it's not, his ways are not our ways. <clears throat> And um, look at uh, chapter 24. Look at verse 12. He takes them out of, out of Egypt and he takes them into the, uh, this desert region. And he brings them to the mountain, the mountain of God. And then the Lord said to Moses, come up to me on the mountain and be there. If you're going to underline your Bible... Underline the be there, that part. And I will give you tables of stone, revelation, and the law and commandments which I have written that you may teach them. And Moses arose with his assistant Joshua. And Moses went up into the mountain of God. And he tells the elders, wait here until I come back to you. Indeed, Aaron and her are with you. And if there's any difficulty, you can go to them. So uh, he's never done this before. He's never had an experience like this. The Lord said, come up into the mountain. I want to speak to you. I want to give you revelation. I want you to be there. So he climbed the mountain. We don't know how many hours it took. If it took the better part of a day, it was a hike. And uh, he gets up there, and there's nothing to do. There's nothing, there's nothing on. There's no, and the reception for Wi-Fi is lousy. He has no pillow. 
No popcorn. There's nothing to do. He's on the top of the mountain. The mountain's been on fire. It's smoky up there. There's lightning. There's all the stuff that's happening. But there's, you got three choices. You can sit, kneel, or stand. That's really all you can do. There's, there's nothing to do. And he waits there all day. If you've ever been out in the wilderness where you've just kind of, you those who've been in a deer stand, you might have a, a little idea of what I'm talking about. It's just hard to do nothing. You might even clean your gun. You might even clean, get out and clean your binoculars. You might, you might do your nails. You might do something. Moses can't do anything. And uh, he's out there all day. And then it starts to get chilly and he's out there into the night. There's the Milky Way above, the stars are stunning, and he's out there. And there's that time leading up to midnight that seems really, really long. But the longest part is from midnight until morning. It's just a long, long time. And the Lord had told him to be there. So he waits all night long, and then he wakes up in the morning, there's no coffee to put on, there's, there's no breakfast to be had, there's nothing to do, nowhere to go. The Lord just said, be there. So he sees a rock, he sits on the rock, and he stands up for a while. He paces back and forth. He looks for a little crevice to put in that he can just nestle in. He stands for a while, he looks out, he looks out over the horizon, looks at a sundial, half a day has gone by but nothing, nothing has happened. He waits all afternoon. The afternoon's the hardest part. Finally, stuff starts to change. Evening tide starts to come, enjoys the sunset, but then it just gets dark, and he goes through the whole thing again of going to midnight. That's the hardest part, it seems like, but then that part from midnight to morning, that's, that's a killer. He did that all that day, all the next 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 day. Seven days go by. Seven days of nothing. Seven days of nothing to do. The Lord said, I'm going to speak to you. Why didn't he just come in the first 30 minutes? Why didn't he just come right from the start and say, here's what I want to give you? God knows what he's doing. There's something in the waiting. There's something in the waiting he's after. There's something in that where we get past ourselves. We push through our own tiredness, our own flesh, our own resistance, our own rebellion, our own expectations. We burn out. We can't even pray. There's nothing more to pray. You're, you, you end up going into the deepest level of prayer, which is beyond words. And he's just there. The Lord said, be there. Then all of a sudden, everything changes. God comes, and with a mighty finger, he starts writing into the tablet, tablets of, snow, of, of stone, and he begins to write the most amazing revelation ever given to man up until that point in time, given the law. Why didn't he just come in the beginning? Unless there's a method Unless there's a method that he knows changes lives, changes hearts. It's so intentional. When we see this, it's so intentional. Now you co contrast that to a story found in Numbers chapter 11. The children of Israel out in this wilderness, there's no Walmart, there's no Seneca ice, ice cream stand, there's, 
There's no roads, there's no people, there's no nothing. Uh, there's, there's not even any food that they're used to. Every morning they'd go out and, the, and a dew had settled and the dew could be picked up, put in a bushel, and turned into pancakes, turned into different kinds of things. And that was it. And that was what they're having every day, every lunch, every, every time they, what's for dinner, honey? Manna. What's for breakfast? Manna. Manna on manna. Manna a la manta. Manna. It's just more manna. After a while, they got so upset with this, they got angry at God, and they said, we remember garlic. We remember leeks and onions. We remember the fish of Egypt. And they're saying this to each other, and it's unsettling when they hear each other. They say, do you remember, do you remember spices? All we have is this manna. And they turn to God, and they say, we want meat now. The Lord speaks to Moses and said, I'll give them meat now. Moses said, you would give them meat? He said, there's, a, there's half a million men plus women and children. Where are you going to get meat? And the Lord says, Is it, you think it's too hard for me to do this? He said, if we killed all of our cattle, if we caught all the fish in the sea, there would not be enough meat to feed these people. The Lord says, do you think this is difficult? I will look after it. I'll see to it. That night when the sun was starting to go down, there was a cloud on the horizon, and the cloud started moving toward the people of Israel, and they, it caught their attention because it's a cloudless sky, but this cloud was quacking. This cloud was moving. It was changing shape. It was, they could hear a noise emanating from this, cl this cloud, and then they realized the cloud got bigger and broader, and started darkening the horizon. And this cloud was starting to lower toward them. It was coming down at them. And they realized, this isn't a cloud. These are birds. And all of a sudden, this massive cloud of birds, quail, dropped on the camp. And all that day, all that night, and all the next day, they're catching quail. Each person got about 30 bushels of quail by themselves. The kids, can you imagine the kids? They're saying, kids, get the hamper. And they go in, they empty out the laundry hamper, and they come out, they fill it up with quail. They're just taking quail, wringing the neck, chucking it in the hamper, wringing the neck, chucking it in the hamper. The kids are crying. Plus, it doesn't go on for an hour. It goes on all day. And you've been chucking quail. You've been wringing the neck of quail. And it's just going on and on and on all night. In all the next day. And there's some who are assigned to plucking, and they're on a plucking detail, and there's just mountains of feathers, and they're stuck with feathers. There's feathers in their hair, there's feathers on their skin, their tunics are covered, their fingers are covered with feathers. And then there's mountains of guts, mountains of quail innards in the hot sun. Not a single refrigerator for a million years, it seems like. No refrigeration. They're just opening it up, and it goes bad within minutes. And there's no way to cook a fire because as far as a man could walk in any direction, that's about 25 miles, as far as a man could walk in any direction, there was about three feet of quail. 
So how are you going to light a fire? <laughs> they can't roast it. They can't get out the barbecue. The barbecue has been tipped over a long time ago. The kids are crying. You're exhausted. And you just started eating quail, and while it's in your teeth, all of a sudden you don't feel good. All of a sudden you start throwing up, and the guy next to you kills over and dies. And next thing you know, it's not just quail guts, and it's not just quail, rot, the stench of rotten quail in the hot sun. Your buddies, your neighbors, people you know are keeling over and dying while the quail is still in their teeth. And thousands of people die. Can you imagine what that would be like? Here's the worst thing that can happen. You can demand your way with the Lord. You can demand some kind of promise. You can demand some kind of thing that you've set your heart on. You can say, I want this and I want it now. The worst thing that he can do is answer your prayer. If he loves you, he would delay. If he loves you, he'd wait until your heart's right. He'd wait. You know what he could have happened, what the children of Israel could have happened? They could have gone out with gratitude, and they say, Lord, thank you for this miraculous provision. No one else is sustained by healthy, healthy food like manna. But we're used, to, uh, we're used to variety. Lord, could you give us a quail and manna? And, we, and they approach it with gratitude. Every morning when they woke up, they could have got out, got out of their tent, start picking up manna, and there's a quail. Grab it, roast it. It could have been a whole different situation had they approached it the right way. I've seen people get quail. I've seen people say, I don't like my job. I hate my job. I don't like the pay. I'm going to this job. I'm, and, I, and they would tell me about it. I'm, go I'm getting this pay. But it turns out to be quail. They don't see their family. They can't go to church anymore. They miss their fellowship. The whole, the whole thing sucks. The whole thing is rotten. It's rotten, and they die spiritually. Is it wrong to want a better paying job? No. No, it's not wrong. The best way to get a better paying job is to wait upon the Lord. Approach him in gratitude and say, Lord, thank you, for the, thank you that I have a job, first of all. But Lord, I'm built for something more. You've put something into me. And, and I'm, I, I, you said in your word that those who wait upon you shall never be disappointed. I'm looking to you. Take me there. I'm not even going to mess with this. I'm just going to believe that you're going to take me there. And you just remind them, and you find a promise, and you sink your heart into that, and you begin waiting upon the Lord, letting him change your motives. Because oftentimes, more money is not a solution to any problem you have. More money is rarely the solution. It usually creates an entirely different set of problems. We think more money changes everything. Not with God. His ways are different than our ways. If you submit to the process, he'll change your heart. He'll change how you think, how you feel, how you see. And then he'll move you into something. And you look back and say, I'm not worthy of this. God did it. He promoted me. It's got his fingerprints all over it. How satisfying is the man who God promotes when he's the one that's out there. And you didn't use a... Rest, uh, you didn't use a um, a resume to get there. You didn't manipulate. You didn't compromise. If you have to give up something that God has given you to get a higher level of success, it's not success. If you have to give up your health, if you have to give up your integrity, if you have to give up your spiritual life, 
You have to give up fellowship. That's not success. That's an uneven trade. And God, when he does it, you'll never have to give up anything. It'll be gain upon gain. You'll never have to give up anything that he's given you in order to have that level of success. Quail. I've seen lots of quail. I've seen people go with quail in ministry. I've seen people go with quail with their calling. I've seen people go with quail in their business. There's quail out there. It's a different, there's a different way of doing it. God wants to take you there. In First um, Kings, chapter 17 and 18, you don't have to read it right now, but in fact, let's do the short version. Let's go to James, letter of James. But on your own, it'd be good for you to read 1 Kings 17 and 18. James chapter 5. Let's look at um, verses 16 and 17. It says, Confess your trespasses to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. It almost looks like a prayer circle. The effective Fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain in the land for three years and six months. And he prayed again, and the heaven gave rain, and the earth produced its fruit. So uh, this whole thing about Elijah being a man like you, that's a real important thought to hold in your mind when you think of this story. So Elijah gets called to be a prophet. The Lord said, I've raised you up to be a prophet. That's your ministry from now on. Here's a prophecy. Here's your first prophecy. It's short, but it's powerful. Your prophecy is this. I want you to say to, in the king's hearing, I want you to say, it shall not rain until I say so. That's your first prophecy. So he gets out there and he proclaims it. It will not rain again until I say so. And then he fled. Three and a half years go by before he declares rain, before he prays for rain, before he's, he's told to pray for rain. Three and a half years. Three and a half years. Here's what that looked like. <laughs> the king right away put a bounty on his head. The king right away wanted him to have his head removed from his shoulder. So the Lord led him down into this gully, down into a stream, riverbank. And he gets down there, and now he's a man just like you. And I use that generically. I mean, he's a person just like you. He has feelings. He likes comfort. He likes good food. He likes candlelight. He likes fire. He likes warmth. He likes, he's social. He likes people. He's a person just like you. Keep that in mind. Because now he's down among the bulrushes in a riverbank. And up above, he can hear horses racing back and forth, men shouting, go up there, look there, go up there, you, go up there. He can hear commands being given. And he's down in among the bulrushes. I don't know if you've ever spent any time on a river. I've, I spent a month one time on a river. 
It smells. Everything smells. After you've been there for a while, your, your, your shoes, your sandals, everything is, that muck, that muck, river muck smells. Plus, with temperature change, you're down into a crevice, you're down into a gully, you're down where the water is, it's flowing, it's constantly moving, it's constantly gurgling, there's constant noise. And at night, it starts to get cold. And so you grab a whole bunch of bulrushes and you wrap them around yourself because you can't light a fire. Smoke is going to bring the enemy. Smoke will cost you your life. And he's there, he's cold, he's alone, he's lonely, he's a person with emotions just like you. And all of a sudden on the horizon, he saw some movement. And all of a sudden he noticed that there's several birds coming. And they come and they hover right above them, and in their beak is meat and bread. And he reaches up and he takes it from them, and this is his first meal. The night is long. You can't light a candle. You hear every little snap of the twig, every little unusual sound. You come wide awake. You're totally on alert. He's a person just like you. After a while, the horses and all the commands and all the stuff that's happening gets less and less. Now all you hear are the crickets. Now all you hear is the insects. And you're there, but you can't come out. You can't come up above. You stay down there. You stay among the bulrushes day after day. The first few hours you pray everything you know to pray. And then after that, there's nothing to pray. What are you going to pray for down there? You're going to pray for bills? You're going to pray for a new car? Are you gonna, what are you going to pray for down there? There's nothing to pray for. Besides, everything that you really need is being supplied on the wings of ravens. And God is bringing in. He wakes up in the morning. He stretches. He's stiff. He's cold because he's a person just like you. And all of a sudden, he sees the movement coming out of the corner of his eyes. And the ravens come. And they hover just above him. One of them has bread, one of them has uh, some meat, and he takes it, and it's being provided by the Lord. It's already been cooked. It's already something he could just take and eat. He can drink. He reaches down in his hand. He takes water out of the stream, and he drinks. He can drink as much as he wants. A day goes by. A long night goes by. Two days go by. Three days. Even if you love camping, this is awful. Four days, five days. He may be scratching in the side of a rock with another rock, and he crosses it off seven days. He's been in down this riverbanks, and he's waiting. Now he's waiting for God to say, go, proclaim rain. But he doesn't hear anything. He's waiting, he's waiting, he's waiting. He looks at the rock again, and there's about four of those seven-day periods with a line running through it because it just goes on and on and on. And after months, the river is getting lower and lower and lower. He's desperately lonely, but he can't leave because he hasn't heard from God. It could cost him his life. All he has to do is stick his head up above the ravine, and he's a dead man. And he waits there and waits there and waits there. 
Each morning, each evening, the ravens come with food. And then one morning, he wakes up, and he gets up, he stretches, there's no raven. No raven, that's odd. That's, that's unusual. Scans the, the, the skyline again, looking for that raven. Where are they? Where? How come they're late? What's happening? And, and he says, Lord, where are the ravens? And the Lord says, today I'd like you to move. I've commanded a widow woman to look after you, and she is going to provide for you. And here's the name of her town, and she's in the region of Sidon. And I want you to go, and she'll provide for you. Change, change, glorious change. Finally, he gets to move. Crawls out of that ravine. The water's almost gone. The sound of the insects is completely gone by now. There's no more sign of ravens. He climbs out of there. His feet, his feet don't work quite right. He's been standing on, on soft riverbank for the longest time. And now he's up on, up on the road, up on the dust. And he moves to a place, and I think maybe it dawns on him, and he gets a chuckle out of it. He's going to this town in Sidon. Well, Sidon is the region where Jezebel grew up. The Lord's sending him to Jezebel's home region. The last place you'd ever expect to find him is in her home region. How clever of the Lord. And so he comes to this, the gates of the city, and he sees this woman with a small boy, and she's out there bent over, picking up a few small sticks. And he sees her. He says, woman, bring me some water. She doesn't even answer. She just goes weekly to go get some water. She's very faint. She goes to get some, some water. And he says, woman, woman, while you're getting me some water, bring me some meal. Bring me something to eat. And she says, well, all I have is a handful of meal left for me and the boy. I'm just picking up a few sticks to start a fire. I'll bake it, and it's our last meal, and then we'll die. Then he does something that is really hard to get your head around. He said, woman, make that last meal for me. I mean, who would do that? Unless, unless you know the heart of God. And I think what happened in that riverbank is he became twisted with God. He became one with God. His mind, his motives, his heart, his thinking, he probably didn't even realize how much he was becoming like God because you don't know it when you're alone, but there's something now that he's out with people. Now he's out, and all of a sudden he finds himself saying, probably surprised himself, woman, make that last meal for me. It sounds so selfish unless you know God, unless you know that he requires us to take a step. And he says, for thus saith the Lord, prophecy number two, the meal will never run out, the oil will never run out. Till God provides another way. And all of a sudden, he's in a house. He's in a house where there's a bed. <laughs> Can you imagine the first time you stretch out on that bed? There's a chair. There's noise. There's house noise. There's kids' noise. There's, there's talking in the, in, the, in the other room. He can hear 
activity. He lights a candle. Can you imagine the first time he's lit a candle and he just puts his, arm, his hands around it? It's light. It's alive. There's something about a candle, especially, especially if you've been in the dark for months and months. This whole thing lasts three and a half years. We don't know how long he was in the riverbank. We don't know how long. He doesn't break it down for us. But the whole thing, the time with the kids and the, and the widow, that, that period plus the riverbank, three and a half years. It's a long, long time. I shared last Sunday that waiting upon the Lord's like making macaroni where it looks like nothing's happening for the longest time. Then all of a sudden there's a flurry of acti activity. You know, when he crawled out that riverbank, can you imagine his heart must have been racing because now he's... he's Vulnerable. Now there's a risk. He could run into a soldier. He could run into a king, uh, one of the king's men. Anything. All of a sudden, it was flatline, and it became super, super exciting very, very quickly. Now he's with this woman, and it goes back to flatline. Now he has three choices. He can sit. He can lie. He can stand. But he can't work. He can't go out. He can't have a nice sociable evening. He can't just cook and do whatever he wants to do. He's being provided. The Lord used weakness, he commanded weakness. Someone who had nothing. I've seen him do that so many times. Why? Because his ways are not our ways. We think that the only way that God can set us up into our next set of our purposes, a fat bank account or a big income or some kind of download of finances. The Lord says, you just don't know my heart. You don't know my ways. But there's something in the twisting, there's something in the braiding, there's something in the waiting, where he knew that it was, he was in the will of God. He knew that he was doing what God had called him to do. Even though now I'm a prophet, I want to prophesy, I want to, I want to change people, I want to change my nation. There's a crazy king running things, and his wife is actually running, and, and, and he knew that it was awful out there for the men of God, for the women of God. Awful, awful time in history. And he wanted to do something. Why do I know that? Because he's just like me. He's a person with emotions just like me. Finally, the Lord began to speak to him. Told him who the next king was. Who to ordain. Who to ordain in his place as a prophet. He set him up with a, a whole series of commands. Go here, go there, go there. All of a sudden, his whole life changed. Now he goes out and he begins to tell the, he go to, go to the king and tell him it's going to rain. I mean, can you imagine going from flatline for three and a half years? All of a sudden, you're super excitement. All of a sudden, you're going to the guy who's got a bounty on your head and you're going to confront him and you're going to say, rain is coming at my command, right? I'm, I'm going to pray for rain to come and it will come. Just an amazing change from nothing, months and months of nothing, to some of the most heart-racing, over-the-hill over exciting experiences. How do I know it was exciting? Well, because he's a man just like you and me, a person just like us. And you know the rest of the story. Everything got, just a flurry of, of activity took place. It almost sounds, what I describe, almost sounds like our building program that we've gone through for the past few months where all of a sudden there's, there's a flurry of activity and everything's happening and all of a sudden it goes flatline. Then there's a flurry of activity and then it goes flatline. 
Why? Because God's working something. He's working something in us. The buildings don't matter. Relationships do. He's changing our methods, our motives, our, our thinking, helping us to, to come up in levels of faith that we'd otherwise never get to. He's after something deeper than just giving us what we want. Some people say, I just want God to talk to me. I just want him to tell me, yes, no, stay, go. And the, and the Lord doesn't. He refrains because he doesn't want to just say, yes, no, go, stay. He wants to change your heart. He wants to change your motives. He wants to change your methods. He wants to change how you think, how you feel. He does it on every level. What are you waiting for? What are you waiting for? Is it hard to wait? The thing you long for, the thing you wish you had, is it hard to wait? Well, you're a person. You have emotions. We know it's hard. God knows it's hard. He knows it's hard. Maybe there's something you can do. Maybe there's something you can do in the twisting, in the braiding, where you submit to the process. Maybe where you stop resenting the process. You say, Lord, I get it now. I see it in the Bible. I see it with Abraham. I talked about him last week. I see it with Moses. I see it with Elijah. I see it with the Apostle Paul. I see it with Peter. You know, Peter's, Peter had been waiting in this upper room, and finally he said, I... I I go a fishing. <laughs> he wasn't talking recreational. He, wasn't, he was going back in the business. He just couldn't wait anymore. He couldn't stand the waiting. And so he gets his buddies, and they get off in the boat, and they push off, and they fish all night long. They don't catch anything because he can't stand waiting anymore. And it's one of the most profound rebukes you'll ever read in the Bible. So much of the heart of Jesus I just picture the Sea of Galilee as the smooth as glass and a mist is, is lifting. The fog is lifting off the water. Their backs are sore. They're cold. They've been out there fishing all night. Their fingers aren't used to it. They don't have the calluses anymore. They're raw. Their fingers hurt so much from, from pulling in the nets. And they're beat down. They're tired. They feel like they're losers. They feel like they've done something wrong. They can't really put their head... They can't really get their head around it. And there's a man squatting on the shore in the distance. And there's some coals at his feet, some smoke coming off them. And his voice carries on top of the water so clear. And he says, hey, boys, catch any fish? And they say, nothing. He said, Cast your nets on the other side of the boat. <laughs> they look at each other like they've been fishing all night. Cast their nets one more time. But they just did it. They just did it. They threw in the nets, and all of a sudden, the, the side of the boat just went whoosh right down into the water. Water's coming into the boat. They can hardly hold on to the net. They all get onto it and they start pulling it it's so heavy it's almost tipping them over and they start bringing it up and now the biggest fish 153 huge fish are brought in the net brought in the boat and as soon as they saw this john he says it's the lord peter dove in the water peter rushes up comes up on the shore standing there dripping wet looking at this man he doesn't recognize him he can't tell by his face by his clothing anything and the man's just hunched over his coals and he's got fish and he's got bread on the coals and he doesn't say anything he doesn't even look Peter's just standing there panting 
from, from all the exertion and his heart's racing. And who is it? He says to the Lord, who else could fill our nets? And the man doesn't even look up. And they all come. They drag their nets and they drag the fish up on the shores. And he says, bring a few of those fish over here. They bring over some of the fish and he throws them on the coals. He takes a piece of bread and he takes off a piece of nice white flaky fish and he hands it to them and it's just steaming. And they've been working all night. They're starving. It's been cold. It's been hard. They've worked so hard. And now they've got this great big piece of bread with fish, fresh fish sticks stuck in the top of it. And they all just stand there in a circle around this man. And they all start eating and he doesn't say anything to them. He just lets them eat. It's the most gracious rebuke. You're going back in business, eh? He doesn't say that. He doesn't say, hey, stupid. He doesn't say the kinds of things that we might say. But there's this moment. All they can hear is the gravel crunching under their feet and the men woofing down all the fish they can eat, all the bread they can eat, and they're standing there. And finally, he looks up at the big guy and he says, do you love me? More than these, I think, pointing to the fish. He says, Lord, you know I do. And it goes back down to flat line again. Nothing spoken. They're standing there. They're eating. They're waiting. They're looking. They're listening. They're, they're, they're so intent on hearing anything that he says. And they're not expecting this. And finally he says, Simon, do you love me more than these? And he points to the fish again. He says, Lord, you know. You know. Feed my sheep. It's not business. It's feeding my sheep. Feed my lambs. And then it's silent for the longest time. It's awkward. You can cut the air with a knife. But it's hospitality. It's generosity. It's warm food. He's meeting a physical need, an emotional need. Finally, he says, Simon, do you love me more than these? Man, what a moment that must what a What a moment that must have been. See, it's a reproof because he refused to wait upon the Lord. And he's missing something. And there's a calling at stake. And there's a purpose. Feed my sheep. Feed my sheep. I've had God reprove me with provision. I've had God reprove me with graciousness before. I know, I know what he's after. He's saying, you think it's business? I, I could provide business for you. I've missed it so many times in my life because I haven't wanted to wait because I'm a person just like Elijah, just like Peter. I have needs, I have desires, I have ambitions. But they all work against this whole thing of being in sync with God's motives, his methods, his ways, his, the way he thinks. Our, our thoughts are not the same as his thoughts. His methods are not the same as our methods. He wants to do something to be gracious to you. So that in the end, all you can say is, God did it. All I know is I couldn't have done it. All I know is my motives really were lousy or just too low or too high. But God 
brought it about. He brought me into a place where he changed my heart. I meet people all the time, this even this week, people who just want to tell me, Lord, yes or no, go or stay. And I could just hear the Lord saying, it's, that's, that's not what I want to do. I want to change your heart. I want to be able to change you so that I can graduate you to a level you can't even imagine, and it won't hurt you. It won't wreck anything. You can do it on your own. You can, you can navigate the whole thing. You can manipulate the whole thing, but you'll never be satisfied. There's something in the waiting. Let me finish with this. I felt a clear call to ministry, and I've been preparing hard for ministry back, back in the early 1980s. And I was in business at this time and uh, had a job working. And, and I just felt like a holy discontentment. I just knew, I knew this wasn't it. This job wasn't it. I couldn't see any future in it. I just knew, but I couldn't make the ministry happen. And if I could have, I would have. And if I was allowed to, except I was, I was in this place where unless the Lord said it, unless the Lord clearly did it, I wasn't going to touch that. I was doing everything I knew, everything he told me to do to prepare. But this holy discontentment, you'd almost look at it and say, I was miserable with my lot in life, miserable with my job, miserable... I couldn't go forward, I couldn't go backward, I'm kind of stuck, nothing, it looks like nothing's happening. It looks like, if anything, I'm going backwards in this whole process. And a, a discontentment hit me. And I found myself going out, uh, leaving, leaving on a lunch hour and going out in this park and praying, trying to find some relief, trying to, and I got nowhere. Didn't hear anything, didn't feel anything, flat line, just almost like a waste of an hour. Went back to my office, went back to work. Same thing happened the next day. I remember watching the other employees. They're all sitting around talking about the hockey game the night before. They're all eating their big lunches. I, all of a sudden, I had no appetite. I told Heather, don't even make me any lunches for the next little while until I tell you because I don't even feel like eating. And all I would do is go out in this park. It was a gravel um, uh, laneways that weaved all through the park alongside this river. And I'd go out there and I'd pray, and I didn't feel anything. I didn't feel any of the glory of God, any of the presence of God. And I was just saying, Lord, I want your will. I want your purpose. I know you've raised me up. I know you have a ministry for me. I don't know what it is. I don't know how to get there. But I know, there, I know it's not for business. I know there's something more than what I'm doing. And I'd pray in tongues for a while and go back to my desk and, and look at the boring lives of my peers. And, and they're sitting around talking about what they watched on TV the other night. I couldn't watch TV. I couldn't, it was so boring to me. And I felt like this, this con discontentment was working a work in me and it drove me to that park every lunch hour. I just stopped eating with my friends and stopped li listening to their stories and would go out in that park and sometimes I'd have an opportunity to book an hour appointment in, somewhere in the day, and I would just walk the park for two hours. And I just walked and prayed. And I didn't even know how to pray. I didn't even know what to pray for. 
But it was more, it, was, it got to a place I got beyond prayer, where there's no more words. It was just me walking, sighing, leaning, longing, looking to him, saying, Lord, what is it? What do you want to do? What, what is it you're after? And I just continued to walk in that park day after day after day. And I, I forget how long that lasted. I'm going to say about a three-month period where I just did a, every chance I could. And I got to it. I, got, I knew I was on to something. I had this hint that something was happening. And I would pray and say, Lord, show me your will. Show me what you have for me. And this idea would come to my mind. The idea was so ridiculous. It just didn't even make sense, so I would brush it away. But I'd say, Lord, what, what do you want me to do? What's next? What's, what's the purpose? And I get this idea that says, you will go to school in the States. Well, I didn't want to go to school. I was a high school dropout. I'd been studying on my own so hard, harder than anybody I knew, really getting up five in the morning, putting on a pot of coffee, studying, doing it late at night. Uh, every spare moment I was studying, the idea of going to Bible school or any kind of school just seemed ridiculous. And I'm a Canadian. I don't want to go to the States. Everybody who was a flunky headed to the States. Why can't anyone stay in Canada? We need people in Canada. Why would, you know, Benny Hinn had just gone to, gone to the States, and I was so disappointed. Stay in Canada. The idea of going to the States just seems, and so I'd push that idea away. And I'd pray, and I'd say, Lord, what is it? What do you want to do? And this idea would come. You shall go to school in the States. And I couldn't even let it in my heart. I couldn't even let it settle in. It didn't make sense. Then one evening, when the elders in the church picked me up to take me to a Bible study, and as we're driving, he says, you know, Pam, my wife and I pray for you all the time. We know God has something significant for you. We, we know he's got a great, great ministry for you. We believe this. I said, well, thank you, Earl. Thank you for praying. I really appreciate it. He said, we were praying for you today. We think God spoke to us about you. I said, really? He said, yeah. He said, I wrote it out. He said, if this isn't the word of the Lord, he said, you'll never offend me. Roll down the window and just throw it out the window because we believe God has a plan and a purpose for your life, something, something beyond normal. And I opened up the piece of paper, and Earl's driving, I opened up the piece of paper, and it says, you shall go to school in the States. Well, I just both fainted. I mean, I, I just went limp. I, I, you could have picked me up with a spatula. I mean, I just... I couldn't believe it because this is what was coming to my mind, but I couldn't receive it as the Lord. It didn't make sense. It didn't appeal to me. Now that he's saying the Lord told him, tell Penn, you shall go to school in the States. What a shock. I don't even remember the rest of the drive. I don't remember the Bible study. I don't remember even going to the Bible study. All I mean, my world stopped for that moment. Well, the next day when I went back to the park, I'm crunching gravel. I'm turning up gravel with my shoes. I'm praying like a different man. God, God, is this you? Is this really you? You mean you have something for me? You mean there's Bible school for me? You want to? Well, what, what would Heather say? Plus, I got these new grandbabies. What's, what's grandpa and grandma? What's Heather's mom and dad going to say? Plus, we just got in the house in the mix. How can we leave that? Go to school in the States. What school? Where, where, how do we get the money to go to school? Where should we go? I mean, all of a sudden, I had so many things to pray for. The next, the next period of praying, waiting on the Lord, took a different turn because now I've got some, some specifics. 
And I remember really wrestling in prayer, saying, Lord, if this is you, you're going to have to change Heather's heart. If this is you, you're going to have to put a yes in her heart. She won't want to do this. Her parents already hate me. Now I've got to go and say, I'm taking your grandbabies off to some school in the States. I mean, it's going to be so bad. Lord, put it in their hearts. Help them to see that this is your will. And now I begin to pray with purpose. Lord, change their hearts. And I remember screwing myself up to get the courage to sit down. I invited them over for dinner. They're all at my table. I cleared my throat. Because I talked to Heather and I said, I really feel God speaking to me that he wants us to go to school in the States. And she said, I don't want to go. I said, I know. I know, but I believe this is God's will. I would never play with your head. I really believe this is God. She's my parents would never agree to it. I said, I know that too. I know that they wouldn't. But what if they did? What if he changed their heart? What if something happened? He put it in their hearts that this is really his will. What if we invite him over? She said, I'll tell you what. If they agree to this, I'll go. And we both laughed because we knew they would never agree to it. So we invited them over. Came the moment. I cleared my throat. I said, you know, I feel I'm supposed to go to a Bible school somewhere down in the States. I don't know for how long, but I really feel I'm called to the ministry. And this is, I have to leave my work. This is the house they helped us to buy. We're sitting in it around the table. I wanted to talk to you about this before... We did anything. Didn't say anything for a minute. Finally looked at Heather. Said, where's your sense of adventure, girl? Go. Again, it just floored me. Just absolutely floored me. Then the church came forward and said, uh, we'll pay your way to go. We'll pay all the tuition fees. We'll pay all of it. We got someone to rent our house temporarily while we're gone. And so many things happened. And then we came across the border, went to school in the States for a six-month period. If that hadn't happened, Heather and I were just talking about that recently. If we hadn't crossed the border and did that, I wouldn't be here today. I wouldn't be, it wouldn't be with you. We wouldn't know each other. So much would have been lost had we not decided to act on that waiting upon the Lord. I remember, I remember uh, sometime later going back to that park to pray again, and for whatever reason, the river, the river divided the park, the park's on both sides of the river. For some reason, I, I normally prayed on this side of the river, and this time I went on this side of the river, and I'm praying, and I'm standing there. All of a sudden, it flashed in front of me. I've been to school in the States and got called to be a pastor of a, of a Mennonite church up in Lowville, New York, and now I was ordained the ministry in a church, had a praying people behind me who loved me as their pastor, had traveled, had done things, had a different car, different house. My whole life had completely changed. I didn't even recognize my life on this side of the river. And I got doing the math. From one year, from the time when I began becoming discontent, that holy discontentment, a year had passed from this side of the river to this side of the river, and nothing of my life resembled the other side of the river. It makes me shudder when I think all I had to do is just sit around and listen to the guys talk about playing hockey and the game the night before, having my meals, and I would have missed the whole thing. Would have missed my destiny, my purpose. There's something about waiting upon the Lord. It doesn't make sense. It's not easy. Emotionally, you're a man just like Elijah. 
It's natural that you don't like it. It's natural that it's not your cup of tea. We understand that. God knows that. But he wants to take you somewhere. He has a plan for you. He has a purpose for you. You won't get into it just in your own way of just coasting, drifting. He has something higher for us, for me too. Amen? Thanks for listening. I know you've been listening for a long time. But I won't come back to the scene for a while. So can we stand together?